Hey, it's Mark here, and welcome to the next edition of the Employee Survival Guide, where I tell you, as always, what your employer does definitely not want you to know about, and a lot more. It's Mark here, and welcome to the next edition of the Employee Survival Guide. Today, I have something a little bit different for you. Um, when you uh, do a podcast, you come up with statistics about uh, what people are interested in. And one of them came up um, in terms of – I did a podcast having to do with what is a hostile work environment. Anyway, uh, it received a lot of um, responses in terms of uh, people's interest. And so I thought that aside from my uh, you know statement about what I think it is and what I said in the podcast, I want to do something different today. So I went out and tried to find um, a case that discussed hostile work environment, and then I found one uh, that was quite elaborate, and I wanted to do something different today is actually share a case. It happened in, uh, by a decision by the Second Circuit Court of Appeals, which is, you know, you know besides the Ninth Circuit in California, Second Circuit is, you know, pre, you know, preeminent like federal court. It's like it defines the law of the land in our country. So uh, the case was uh, Billy Banks versus General Motors, and I'm going to get into it. Uh, it's involving a race case, um, but it has the hostile work environment discussion. And uh, as a summary, I will describe to you the what happened as an you know, initial summary, then I'll get into the actual case. I'm literally going to read the case to you because uh, I'll, um, it's important to see how courts uh, rationalize decisions instead of what you read in the press about whatever decision was. There's mechanical elements to cases that judges have to go through it it's you know it's um you know it's the law you know we refer to it's laws by statute laws by cases so here we have um you know i refer to the oftentimes the rule of law uh here you have a precedent being set by the second circuit court of appeals the date of the decision was september 7 2023 it was an appeal from the uh, western district i believe of new york uh, and where the plaintiff in the case, an African-American woman, brought an action against her employer under Title VII of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, Section 1981 of the 42, US, uh, 42 USC, Section 1981. It's a race-based um, statute from Reconstruction Era in the Civil War that's used now in uh, employment cases and also New York State human rights law. The woman lost at the district court level at summary judgment, and she filed an appeal to the Second Circuit. Um, and it got reversed, remanded back down to the trial court to the, to the Western District of New York. Um, pretty substantial decision because you have to understand that most decisions after summary judgment from a district court don't get remanded back down. And so that's um, a significant aspect you need to understand. So I'm going to get into the case about Billy Banks. And I want you uh, to understand there's some page flipping here because uh, there's a lot of material in front of me, so bear with me. But listen closely to the facts. And listen to the law that the court goes into, and you're going to learn a lot about what hostile work environment is. And also, she had other claims having to do with retaliation and disparate treatment. So let's begin. Billy Banks began her career at General Motors in 1985 as a security officer. After leaving to obtain a master's degree, she returned to General Motors in 1996 and began working at the Lockport plant near Buffalo, New York, where she continued to work until the present uh, litigation. Banks has been promoted twice during her tenure at General Motors, most recently to the position of site safety supervisor in 2006. Banks held this position until she was replaced in 2014 while on medical leave. 
She returned to work in October 2014 and took another medical leave in January 2016. Uh, as you'll discover, these leaves are because of her issues uh, she was having. Uh, and the decision goes on to say both medical leaves were the purpose of recuperating from the stress, anxiety, and depression she incurred from working at the Lockport plant. The court goes on to say workplace culture at the Lockport plant this is very important for background to understand. Uh, Banks presented evidence of an inappropriate conduct directed at, at her as well as as well as others. Uh, incidences that are directed at Banks now. Starting in 2002, Banks uh, was subjected to a series of racially or sexually offensive incidents at the uh, Lockport plant. For instance, Banks was accused by a supervisor of engaging in disability fraud in 2002 and credit card fraud in 2007. She was called a dumb N-word. Uh, by a manager during the uh, meeting with other employees in 2004. Observe racist and sexist graffiti on the, at the plant, uh, including the word N-word, the N-word. Uh, and I'm, I have a philosophical issue about reporting uh, the use of the N-word. I don't want to replicate it, um, but you know what I mean. Uh, and sexual slurs as well as sexually explicit pinup calendars and posters starting in 2006. And observe depictions of the Confederate flag on employees' vehicles and clothing starting in 2009. Again, this is Buffalo, New York. Uh, Also, starting in 2009, at least three different employees directed sexually offensive comments toward banks. One told her she was looking good back there. Uh, Another uh, said while looking at her breasts, asked, are you cold or just excited to see me? Uh, There's a lot of comedy in these cases, but that's not comedic. That's just effing cruel uh, in trying to intimidate women. It's, it's illegal, obviously. In August 2013, uh, after banks dismissed an outside contractor for violating safety, safety protocols, a decision within her discretion as a safety supervisor, Tom Rush, a manager, walked into her office with another colleague and began yelling at her and shook a thick rolled-up document threatening in her face. Rush had neither overseen the contractor's work nor inspected the the particular safety situation that had given rise to the the dismissal. Several of Banks' colleagues, including some who were up to 50 feet away, overheard Rush, and one colleague was so concerned that he was prepared to step in physically to protect Banks from Rush. Rush's contact was sufficiently intimidating that Banks withdrew her, uh, her order for the contractor to vacate the premises. Though Banks complained to management about the incident, in a subsequent investigation, determined that Rush had actually acted inappropriately. Rush was never disciplined, and the incident was never uh, noted in his personnel file. Um, that's a very common thing for employers these days. During the CPR training class in, t- in April 2015, the union safety representative leading the class used Banks as an example of an quote-unquote African-American who, after using and overdosing on drugs at home, would be in need of CPR. Banks asked that the representative not use her as an example and subsequently complained to management but the representative was not disciplined. During that same class, a union uh, safety representative used an Asian-American coworker as an example, directing the class to assume that the coworker, quote, gets ex- electrocuted by his work, I'm sorry, gets electrocuted by his walk and rice fly, uh, flies everywhere, end quote. I'm not making this shit up. Uh, safety representative referred to a absorb- uh, absorbent material used on the plant floor as naps, quote, unquote, naps, and joked to banks that another black male Use the materials for his hair. Again, I'm not making this up. Uh, on one occasion in June 2015, when uh, providing feedback for a document prepared for an upcoming presentation, Banks explained that she had made several changes to, the, to make the document appear more professional. Banks' colleagues, a white male, responded with an email that read, quote, 
I'm not making this up either. Wait a minute. Are you saying us guys is unprofessional? I'm uh, I'm professional as wrestling. You know what I mean? WWF, professional wrestling. Take that to the bank, Billy Banks, LOL. And he puts in parens, I couldn't resist, end quote, uh, end parens. Banks responded to the colleague to say that she believed he was mocking her using Ebonics, Ebonics, I'm sorry, a vernacular associated by some African-Americans. In addition to these uh, specific incidents, Banks routinely experienced insubordination in her role as a safety supervisor, not experienced by her white colleagues. That's an important fact to note of disparate treatment. She was deprived of support staff while prior safety supervisors, most of whom were white men, had been given several direct reports. Her, direct, her directives or assignments were often ignored, and she was routinely denied data and, and information she needed to prepare monthly safety presentations. During the safety training session in January 2013, a colleague called Banks an quote-unquote idiot in front of other employees. During another training session in May 2013, the same colleague again called Banks an quote-unquote idiot, told the attendees that she doesn't, a quote, doesn't know what the hell she's doing, end quote, and that she would cost uh, General Motors uh, $7 million in OSHA fees. When Banks complained about these incidents, Mike Morasco, uh, a human resources business partner and training manager, replied, quote, you know why they do this to you, and question mark, because you're our black female. Again, I'm not making this up. Um, the court now uh, says incidents involving other employees. Um, other employees at the Lockport plant were also subjected to sexually and racially offensive conduct. Several black and female employees told Banks they had specifically been subjected to sexually offensive comments or racial epithets. Uh, black colleagues, for example, shared the, with Banks that they were called the N-word or monkey by white employees and that you, quote, you hear comments of the nature so that you often so often that you don't report them, end quote. Another black employee was referred to as a silverback by a manager in apparent comparison to a type of a gorilla. One black employee reported, reported that a white colleague referred to a work product she considered to be poorly done as a N, uh, uh, I can't say it. it's, it's N-rised. You fill in the blank. Uh, and another reported that he was called um, N-word every day. Uh, of the approximate 180 uh, salaried employees at the Blackport plant, six were black, of those six, uh, three comp uh, complained to management about discrimination. So it's going on uh, across the board to a lot of employees at the plant. On three separate occasions from 2006 to, to 2017, black employees reported that nooses uh, had been placed directly at or near their work sites. Their first noose incident occurred in 2006 when David Lucky, uh, a black male employee, reported Finding a noose placed in his toolbox, the noose was approximately three feet long and was made of thick rope. The second noose incident occurred in uh, July 2014 when uh, Lock Lockie again, re re again reported seeing a noose, this time hanging from a crane near the plant's weld shop. The noose was also made of thick rope and was hung approximately eight feet from the ground. Another black colleague, uh, Al Birch, relayed the incident to Banks shortly after it happened as she was on disability leave. The third noose incident occurred in December 2017 when Daniel Marsh, another black colleague, reported finding a noose placed on a tugger or a motorized vehicle that was used around uh, the uh, job site. The tugger had been temporarily assigned to him as, and he was covering the shift of another colleague. The noose was made of gray twine. Marsh filed a report and General Motors investigated the incident. Of course, they probably found nothing, as they always do. 
In September 2014, Lockheed reported finding a black rescue dummy, which was used for safety training exercises placed inside of Buddha, another type of motorized vehicle used inside the plant. Contrary to the usual practice, the rescue dummy was not wearing clothes besides a pair of tattered pants and was seated upright in the vehicle as if to drive it around. Lucky, report, Lucky reported the incident and alleged that the display referenced slavery. Banks and other employees lean, uh, learned of the incident shortly thereafter and similarly took offense. The record does not indicate the outcome of Lucky's complaint. The internal and EEOC complaints. After raising numerous concerns with the Human Resources Department, banks filed a formal internal complaint on September 16, 2013. I'm sorry, September 16, 2013, with AwareLine, a third-party reporting service uh, utilized by General Motors. AwareLine complaint alleged that banks had been subjected to race and sex discrimination, and specifically detailed the incident involving Rush. AwareLine began its investigation into the matter on September 20, 2013, but closed the investigation a few months later. AwareLine did not interview or otherwise contact banks. Not surprised because they don't do very much in their investigations other than try to build a case for the defendant. On October 14, 2013, October 24, 2013, banks filed her initial charge with the New York State Division of Human Rights uh, and the EEOC alleging race and sex-based discrimination. It's important to note that the um, the agencies have a work sharing agreement, so you can file typically with the EOC, which I would, uh, and it gets automatically filed with the um, the state agency. But on the form five box, you got to check both little square boxes on the right hand corner; otherwise, you can't have a claim under state law or federal law. So check your boxes. Uh, it is the federal government, so you have bureaucratic documentation. Um, she amended the EOC charge on December 9, two thousand thirteen, and again. On July 10, 2014, the EOC issued banks a notice right to sue letter on August 19, 2014. Um, the importance there is when the EOC issues a notice right to sue, um, this is my commentary, that uh, you have 90 days to file a suit or you waive your claims under Title VII. It is not a requirement under Section 42 U.S.C. 1981. Um, that has a four-year statute of limitations, which the court will get into in a second. Uh, the court uh, references the disability leave and return to work uh, for banks. On September, 3rd, uh, September 9, 2013, banks began a period of disability leave to recuperate from the stress she incurred from the hostile and discriminatory environment at Lockport plant. Uh, the suspension of disability leave benefits. General Motors policy governing disability leave provides that employees are entitled to 100% of their salary uh, for the first 13 weeks of leave and then 75% of their salary for the following uh, 39 weeks. Uh, on November 22, 2013, um, one month after Banks filed the EOC claim and 10 weeks into her disability leave, General Motors suspended her disability leave benefits without notice. Um, it was retaliation. It's just the court will get into it in a second. After her benefits were suspected, suspended, Banks was unable to support her family. Her mental health de deteriorated and she suffered panic attacks, headaches, insomnia, and digestive problems. During a check-in call with uh, Susan Guthro, the plant's personnel director, in December 2013, Guthro commented that it must be tough for banks that her sick leave benefits were cut off. Not making that one up either. General Motors justified the suspension of benefits on the basis that Dr. Jones, a psychiatrist retained by General Motors, had examined banks on November 22, 2013, and determined that she appeared fit for duty and had not uh, submitted evidence supporting her continuing leave of absence. That is a requirement under ERISA uh, for short-term disability benefits to substantially document, medically speaking. Uh, that's my commentary. Uh, in order in here, the the, um, the company conducted a... Um, uh, in a physical assessment by the psychiatrist, it's kind of rare, but it, they took that effort. They can do that legally. 
Uh, Banks, however, contends that she did not speak with Dr. Jones until May 2014 during a conference call regarding her request to return to work. Banks successfully repealed that the suspension of her benefits. The benefits were reinstated retroactively in two payments, the first in January 31st, 2014, and another in February 15th, 2014. The delayed return to work, the court references. Let's take a quick break. It's Mark, and we have a new product for you. It's called the Employee Survival Guide or EmployeeSurvival.com, and it's a site that you can obtain PDF products that uh, I've created myself. I was spending too many hours, way too many, researching and writing about, uh, for example, the performance improvement plan or beating them, and the second one uh, about negotiating severance negotiation uh, agreements, two of the most important topics that we see in terms of the web traffic and podcast traffic we have. So check out EmployeeSurvival.com and see uh, if this can try to help you, and you don't need an attorney to use it. Thank you. In April 2014, Banks notified General Motors that the uh, that she was ready to return to work. She provided a note from her treating physician uh, and obtained approval from the plant doctor. Uh, in compliance with the practice she had followed when she returned from other periods of disability leave. Unlike her prior leave, however, this time General Motors required that she meet with Dr. Jones before it would be approved to, for her to return to work. Dr. Jones spoke with Banks over the phone several times starting in May 2014, but never met with her in person. During this first call, Dr. Jones asked Banks if she had ever been raped or sexually abused as a child, uh, as he noted that, quote, typically people who exhibit her symptoms have had that, that type of trauma, end quote. When Banks replied that she had not and remarked that the question was inappropriate, Dr. Jones responded that her com- uh, complaints of workplace discrimination were not sufficient to sustain a mental breakdown like he should know better. That's my comment. Like, And that something in her family background must have caused her stress and anxiety. That's a little outrageous for me. I'm sorry. Banks told Jones that his inquiries were inappropriate as they did not bear on her, her ability to return to work. I agree with jo- uh, Banks in that respect. Uh, Dr. Jones then remarked that he had reviewed Banks's file and doubted her readiness to return to work. He noted that Banks had filed the EOC aware line and workers' compensation complaints, um, the last of which she had not filed. Um, and remarked that she did not appear to have the, quote, conflict resolution skills to handle the environment. Well, I wouldn't have the conflict uh, resolution uh, skills to handle that shit show because that was a pretty tough environment. Uh, and the court goes on at the plant and that this, that she, quote, seemed to be emotional when talking about this, the incidents. Well, who wouldn't? Uh, Dr. Jones refused to uh, approve her return to work. Uh, Banks next spoke to Dr. Jones in September 2014. During a call, Dr. Jones commented that Banks had, quote, lost her EOC aware uh, claims, acknowledging General Motors had not found anything. Uh, Dr. Jones approved Banks' return to work. Uh, The reassignment, the court says, several months into her disability leave, General Motors replaced Banks as a safety supervisor without her knowledge. General Motors maintained a policy whereby salaried employees on disability leave would not be replaced without approval by their manager and the appropriate human resources management team. By, uh, but on January 29, 2014, four months after Banks began her disability leave, Guthrow approved the public posting of job Banks's position without obtaining the requisite approval from the relevant human resources team. Rasco also sent a plant-wide email to salary employees uh, advertising the open position. Banks did not receive the email, despite being included in the plant-wide email distribution. 
Uh, March 29, 2014, Robert Duke, a white man, was hired to replace Banks as safety supervisor. And in, in his new role, Duke uh, was given few responsibilities and more support staff than Banks had received. Duke uh, also received overtime pay when he worked at the plant outside of his scheduled shift, which Banks had never received. A few weeks later, Maureen Horton, the corporate human resources manager for global health and safety, emailed Guthrow about the situation, noting that it appears that a safety position was posted for Lockport and that an ex external candidate had been hired. Uh, expressing surprise that she was not aware of any uh, posting or interview process for Banks' uh, safety supervisor role, Horton noted that Banks had justified or had notified General Motors of her readiness to return to and queried whether Guthrie was aware of the situation. Uh, we could be facing uh, the posting. Uh, Horton requested that Guthrie contact her so that they could talk through the situation. Uh, Apparently, they got things screwed up. After Jones approved her return to work, Banks returned to Lockport to the Lockport plant in October 2014, but was reassigned to a safety representative role where she had no longer her supervisor responsibilities and was instead assigned menial tasks. Guthrow uh, announced the, the personnel change in a plant-wide email, which stated that Banks was now the, the off-shift safety representative supporting manufacturing operations on the second third shift and the off-shift uh, contact person for labor relations. Though Banks received a small raise in her new position, uh, was of the same rank. She no longer had the supervisor responsibilities, was given a different title, and was assigned a less desirable shift. All these are adverse av actions. Uh, Banks complained to management about her reassignment to a non-valued added position. As a safety representative, she no longer advised leadership about plant-wide safety concerns. She was not involved in the development of business plans and safety metrics, did not participate in meetings with safety supervisors from on-site from other sites, it did not supervise other employees. And although she was nominally assigned a position with labor relations, she received no training for the role, uh, access to necessary resources, and no assignments related to the position. Uh, in particular, Banks protested that the assignment interfered with her efforts to advance her career. Uh, during the, her tenure in General, at General Motors, Banks had consistently sought opportunities for advancement. In 2011, she had uh, been selected as a group I'm sorry, as a member of a General Motors talent review group in which promising uh, employees were selected to present their goals and accomplishments to corporate management. In December 2014, Banks was offered a temporary summit to the, uh, at the General Motors plant in Rap Grand Rapids, uh, which he again, uh, would gain uh, multi-plant experience that would enhance her advance advancement opportunities. Banks responded that she absolutely wanted the position and began making travel arrangements. One day before she was meant to leave, however, General Motors rescinded the offer without explanation. Uh, after making further complaints about her new role, Banks was involved, uh, moved to the different shift and assigned some pr uh, primary responsibilities. Six months after her return to work, she was reinstated to the first shift, the original shift she had worked prior to going on disability leave. Okay. That was the fact pattern leading to the court complaint. Um, so you get a very long-winded, I uh, apologize, that's what these cases are, and it's public knowledge. You can read these. It'll be a, on the show notes, I'll attach the uh, copy of the very lengthy decision. Um, but this is how court cases, decisions are uh, created. There's a fact pattern, and then I'm going to get into now the proceedings below, and then I'll get into what the court's decision is, okay? So as to the proceedings below. Banks commenced this action on November 14, 2014, asserting claims of hostile work environment. There you go. Uh, race and sex-based dis disparate treatment and retaliation in violation of Title VII and 64 Civil Rights Act 
and also New York State Human Rights Law and uh, 42 U.S.C. 1981, uh, which happens to be the most powerful statute of the three. Uh, Banks alleged that the conditions at the Lockport plant created a hostile work environment so severe or pervasive that it affected the conditions of her employment. She also alleged that the termination of her disability benefits, her delayed return to work, and her reassignment all constituted adverse actions relevant to her disparate treatment and retaliation claims. Very important statement I just made to you. Keep that in your mindset as you move through the decision. Um, On February 13, 2018, General Motors moved for summary judgment, as they always do, on all claims. Uh, On November 20, 2020, the district court granted summary judgment to General Motors on the hostile work environment claim and disparate treatment claims, but denied summary judgment on the bank's retaliation claim based on the suspension of her benefits while on medical leave. Well, that was pretty obvious. Um, But here, my commentary here is that in light of the fact pattern I read you, uh, the hostile work environment, I mean, it went back for years, uh, and the court will explain how to interpret it all, but it was generally hostile and pervasive. Uh, and then she also exhibited uh, elements of disparate treatment. So ask yourself, why did the district court judge, a federal judge, uh, in this case, uh, a very well-known judge, um, get it wrong? Well, um, my opinion is that employment cases are not favored in federal court, and the uh, the Stack is uh, cards are stacked against the plaintiff employees in every case in federal court. Uh, in my opinion, after too many years of doing this, um, there is some politicization of judges on the benches. Uh, I, I want to be respectful, but um, you know you can read your own news reports and find out what you come to your own opinions about that. But after that fact pattern, you should be realizing, well, wait a minute, hmm, something's really wrong here. And why did the court get it wrong? Because it did, and that's why you have an appeal. I'm reading an appeal decision. Uh, it was remanded back to the trial judge again to get it right. Let's move on. Um, where was I? As a threshold matter, the district court held that a number of incidences banks alleged to support her discrimination and retaliation claims were time barred. Uh, as for banks' hostile work environment claim, the district court held that no reasonable jury could find that an environment at the Lockport plant was hostile to a female or African-American employee. Um, as to, and I'm sorry, I'm laughing because it's, it is humorous that, uh, that judge did, uh, not find in that favor of the employee here, uh, in light of those facts, as to the disparate treatment and retaliation claims, the court found that Banks's reassignment was not an adverse employment action. And while her delayed return to work might constitute an adverse action, Banks had failed to establish an inference of discrimination. The district court held, however, that there was a genuine issue of fact as to gen- whether General Motors committed an, an adverse action when, in contravention of the company policy, it suspended Banks' benefits while on a leave. General Motors moved for reconsideration with respect to the retaliation claim, initially alleging that newly discovered evidence as to Banks' disability benefits, but later changing course and arguing that summary judgment was warranted to avoid manifest injustice. On September 23rd, 2021, the district court reversed itself and held that banks, uh, because of banks' disability benefits were eventually repaid, the suspension of benefits was a trivial harm uh, that was insufficient for support an adverse action finding. As a result, the district court granted the motion and dismissed the remaining claims. Judgment was entered on January, September 24th, 2021. Let's just note something here. The decision that I'm reading from is uh, dated... Uh, September 2023. So the trial court decision 2021, nearly, what, two years later? I mean, that's how long these cases last. I mean, how long it takes the courts to render decisions. It's just remarkable. Uh, But, you know, it does happen and people do stay the course as Miss Banks did. 
as we will now discover, because now we're going to read the decision. And if you're not exhausted by now, then, well, I am, because this is how court cases are uh, interpreted by in red. I mean, it just this is the law uh, that, that you set up the fact pattern. You tell about the proceedings below, and now you get into the discussion of the why, and uh, the decision uh, was remanded back and reversed and remanded back to the district court. Uh, I'm going to skip a little bit here because I don't need to explain to you what summary judgment means, but I'm going to get into the uh, case. Uh, the court says, we first address the timeliness of Banks' claims before turning to the merits. Uh, applicable law. Under Title VII, individuals alleging discrimination must file the charge with the EOC within 100 days or, uh, in states like New York, have local administrative mechanisms for pursuing claims 300 days after the alleged unlawful practice. So well, what it means, basically, you have a work sharing agreement in most states, it's 300 days as it's uh, a statutory period. You must file your claim uh, within that. Um, in uh, National Railroad Passenger Corp. War, this is Morgan, the U.S. Supreme Court case, uh, held that the word quote, practice refers to a discrete or, I'm sorry, discrete act or a singular occurrence and that a discrete retaliatory and discriminatory act occurred on the day that it happened. For plaintiffs alleging unlawful discrimination or retaliation, discrete acts or actions, such as termination, failure to promote, denial or transfer, or refusal to hire are easy to identify and are not actionable if time-barred, even if they are related to acts alleged in a timely filed, timely filed charges. Okay, That's your rule of law by the Supreme Court. And then it's going to do an interpretation. It's going to provide an exception here. An exception to the 300-day rule applies, however, if the discrimination constitutes a, quote, continuing violation. And I need to commentary on you. I find and use the continuing violation doctrine as the court. So now we're going to explain a lot of times in order to grab facts that occur way back in time. Because in Banks' case, things occurred much earlier. A lot of really explicit commentary and N-word usage occurred, and the court uh, is going to use this doctrine to kind of grab that and make it a part of the whole entire case, and you'll see in a second. Uh, slightly different analysis for hostile work environment. Under the continuing violation doctrine, if specific related instances of discrimination are permitted by the employer to continue unremediated uh, for so long as to amount to a discriminatory policy or practice, uh, if con a continuing violation is found, a court must then consider all relevant actions allegedly taken pursuant to the employer's discriminatory policy or practice, including those that would otherwise be time-barred. Claims alleging a hostile work environment require a different analysis than discrimination or retaliation claims because their very nature involves repeated conduct. Unlike discrete discriminatory or retaliatory actions, instances that give rise to hostile work environment occur over a series of days or perhaps years, and a single act of harassment may not be actionable on its own. The Morgan Court made clear that it does not matter that some of the component acts of the hostile work environment fall outside the statutory time period. So long as an act contributing to the claim occurs within the filing period, the entire time period of hostile environment may be considered by a court for the purpose of a de determined liability. That's your rule of law regarding hostile work environment, how the court looks at it, okay? So when you're thinking about your own fact pattern, you can go as far back as you want on a hostile work environment claim, so long as you connect them all together and one instance occurs within the timeliness of the 300-day period. The statute of limitations for claims brought under Section 1981 um, amended by the Civil Rights Act of 1991, is four years. So 42 U.S.C. 1981 is a four-year statute of limitations. Under the New York State Human Rights Law, claims must be filed within three years of the adverse employment action. This three-year statute of limitations is told during the period in which a complaint is pending before the New York State Department of Human Rights or the EOC. 
Hope you're hanging in there with me. Okay, now the court's going to take the application of those rules and apply it to the facts of the case. As a threshold matter, the district court properly calculated the applicable limitations period for banks' claims. The court found that the Title VII 300-day uh, limitations period began on December 28, 2012, 300 days prior to the October 24, 2023, when banks filed her first EOC complaint. So you got to file with the agency, not with the employer, but with the agency to, to lock down the, the complaint. It found that the four-year limitations period for the Section 1981 claims began on November 14, 2010, four years prior to the number November 14, 2014, um, when Banks filed her complaint. For the New York State human rights law violation claims, the court found that the three-year limitations period was told during the pendency of Banks' EOC claim um, from October 24, 2023 to August 9th to the 19th to, to August. I'm sorry, I'm tongue twice because I'm just trying to read too much. August 19, 2014. Um, when the right to sue letter was issued, and the appropriate, the applicable time period began on January 20, 2011. Um, the district court dismissed certain of Banks' claims on, as untimely. In particular, it concluded that the claims based on the five key events in 2002, 2004, 2006, and through 2009, and again in 2010, were untimely. It held that the Banks' claims based on graffiti found during 2010 to 2012, safety inspections were time-barred. At the same time, the district court concluded that even the events predating the relevant limitations period were timely for purposes of Banks' hostile work environment claims. First, as to the hostile work environment claim, the court says, we agree with the district court that the earlier instances, that is, those that predate the applicable dates, may be considered with respect to a hostile work environment claim. Uh, General Motors contends that Banks improperly relies on the time-barred instances in support of her hostile work environment claim, but this argument is clearly contravened by the Supreme Court's decision in Morgan. Similarly, General Motors' emphasis on the fact that other Black and female employees were the subject of many Banks' uh, examples of discriminatory harassment is foreclosed by other precedents. That make clear that a, a plaintiff need not be the victim of all discriminatory harassment relevant to her hostile work environment claim. In any event, if the instances prior to the limitations period are properly considered, Banks herself was indeed subjected to epithets. Second, as to the disparate treatment and retaliation claims, there is no longer a timeless issue for us to, to decide, the court says, as Banks makes clear in her brief on appeal, her disparate treatment and retaliation claims are based on the following actions, which occurred on the following dates. The suspension of her medical benefits on November 22, 2013, and the delay in permitting her to return to work when she was ready to in October or April 20, 20, uh, 2014. And third, her reassignment to a different position in October 2014. Because of all these instances occurred after the relevant limitations uh, dates, they are not time barred. Uh, while the district court referred to other specific ev events, such as the termination and restoration of specific events, res restoration of Banks' employment in 2002, the withholding of staff support in 2006 uh, to 2009 and the withholding of air uh, sampling data in 2010, Banks' appellate brief makes clear that she is not pursuing these actions as basis for her disparate treatment claims. Rather, as discussed above, she is relying on that, relying on them as a background evidence and support her hostile working from claim because she has to. Um, here in this case, the hostile working environment claim is actually more powerful uh, and with the evidence than the disparate treatment claim, as you now know. And now they turn to the merits of the bank's claim. So the first issue is the hostile work environment claim. Here's where I want you to understand and learn. Here's what the court 
in most courts believe what hostile work environment is. And so you are clear when you're hearing this that the what is a hostile work environment. To survive summary judgment on a claim for hostile work environment, a plaintiff must produce evidence of the workplace that is permitted uh, with discriminatory intimidation, uh, ridicule, and insult that is sufficiently severe or pervasive to alter the conditions of the victim's employment. Uh, hostile work environment claims brought under Title VII, Section 1981, and New York State law are assessed using the same standards. We employ a totality of the circumstances approach, the court says, to evaluate whether an, um, an environment is hostile and abusive, including the frequency of the discriminatory conduct, its severity, whether it is physically threatening her or humiliating or a mere offensive utterance, and whether an, it is unreasonably interferes with an employee's work performance. Isolated instances of harassment ordinarily do not rise to this level. Most people get that wrong. Okay, when I get calls, most people are just infuriated by the isolated instances that do not rise above to the frequency level or the severity level. And that's why the issue of hostile work environment is so uh, controversial is that most people don't understand what the standard is. They just think it's, you know, they just use the phrase. Um, the, uh, the court says, well, we have recognized that a single act can create a hostile work environment if it, in fact, works a transformation of the plaintiff's workplace. It's got to be one instance, you know, severe, pervasive. Think, think of rape in the workplace. OK, that's severe enough to be a hostile. A plaintiff must show that either that a single incident was extraordinarily severe or that a series of incidents were sufficiently continuous and, and concerted to have altered the conditions of her working environment. This assessment has both an objective and subjective component. The misconduct shown must be severe or pervasive enough to create an objectively hostile, abusive work environment, and the victim must also subjectively perceive that environment to be abusive. That's the rule of law. Um, the hostility of the work environment as a whole, not the motivation of one decision maker, is the central inquiry as a hostile work environment claim and liability is determined only by looking at these circumstances. Evidence of a general work atmosphere as well as evidence of specific hostility directed toward the plaintiff is an important factor in evaluating the claim. Instances that are not facially discriminatory may sometimes be used to establish a course of sex or race-based discrimination, for example, where some the same individual is accused of multiple acts of harassment, some overtly discriminatory and some not. Moreover, conduct not directly targeted or targeted at or spoken to an individual, but purposely taking place in her presence can nonetheless uh, transform her work environment into a hostile, abusive environment. Finally, if a plaintiff alleges that harassment arising from both race and sex-based hostility, the interplay between the two forms of harassment is pertinent to evaluating the hostile work environment claim. If a rational juror, you, you know, that's what they refer to as just a basic person who's serving on a jury duty, could infer that a reasonable employee could have viewed a, a given series of events as materially worsening her working conditions, summary judgment is dismissed. Uh, dismissing her hostile work environment claim on the ground of lack of an adverse employment decision is inappropriate. Okay, the court, it's a lengthy decision, I apologize, but it keep, goes on in the application. Because of the district court correctly held that the continuing violations doctrine applies to Banks' hostile work environment claim, um, we consider instances that occurred both prior to as well as during the limitations period in evaluating the merits. We conclude, the court says, that there is ample evidence of racial and sexually harassment to create a genuine issue of fa material fact as to Banks' hostile work environment claim. Well, duh. I mean, why did the district court get that wrong? 
the district court acknowledged that Banks is, uh, present, uh, presented evidence of intimidation, ridicule, and insult both to her and to other African-American and female employees in the form of graffiti, silhouettes, graf- uh, Confederate flags displayed at the Lockport plant, harassment, comments, and epithets. But the court nonetheless held that a, quote, reasonable person would not find the environment general motives Lockport plant was hostile or abusive to female African-American employees. I'm sorry, but this is the world I work in. And if these are your courts. That's what a federal judge said in the face of that fact pattern. It, it just it drives you crazy. But let's go on. Banks, however, provides extensive and detailed examples. Of course, she does of uh, persuasive and long term sex and race based animosity that a reasonable jury could find create a hostile work environment. Yeah, no shit. Uh, summary judgment is inappropriate, whereas here in a, admissible materials in the record make it arguable that the claims have merit. A jury could reasonably find that the alleged discriminatory behavior fomented, I like that word, fomented, a hostile work environment for two reasons. First, the jury could find that one incident was sufficiently severe such that it altered the conditions of Banks' employment. Second, a jury could find that the discriminatory intimidation, ridicule, and insult that Banks and other employees uh, experienced were pervasive inside the Lockport plant. Either finding would be sufficient to support a hostile work environment claim. The court then goes into the other aspect of the hostile work environment uh, elements and it gets into severe conduct. We first consider the severe conduct. A single incident must be extraordinarily severe to support a hostile work environment, but it need not involve actual or threatened physical assault. A reasonable jury could find that Banks' altercation with Rush in 2013 over a personnel dispute rises to the threshold of severity, sufficient severity, the court said. When Rush confronted Banks over her decision to dismiss a contractor for failing to adhere to safety protocols, a decision within her discretion as safety supervisor, he shook a rolled-up document in in her face and started yelling at her in a loud and aggressive manner. Rush could be heard yelling from 50 feet away. His behavior alarmed other colleagues, and Banks was so intimidated by his tirade, and physically threatening demeanor that she eventually withdrew the dismissal order. Another plant employee who went to Banks's office when he heard Rush yelling was so concerned that he was prepared to physically protect Banks from Rush. Gothrow, whose office was 50 feet away from the altercation, told Banks that the yelling was so loud that she thought it was a drunk employee. Banks uh, alleges that this incident was so severe that it compelled her to take a disability leave and to file her uh, aware line or EOC complaints. We have held that a tirade involving obscene comments delivered at length, loudly, in a group in which the plaintiff was the only female precludes a grant of summary judgment on a hostile work environment claim. And it cited a case of Howley. Uh, and the plaintiff in Howley, and the court uh, oftentimes uh, supports its decision by stare decisis by other decisions, um, other cases that became before it. And it refers to Howley. A female firefighter was subjected to a verbal assault during a meeting by a male coworker who told her, shut the F up. You effing whining, you know, c-word in front of a group of male firefighters, many of whom were Howley's subordinates. In holding that this single incident could support the hostile work environment claim, we observed that the challenge conduct directly impacted the conditions of plaintiff's employment because it fomented, and here's the word again, gen- gender-based skepticism as the competence of com- of, of a commanding officer uh, diminished the respect of. Uh, accorded to the offers by subordinates and impaired her ability to lead in a life-threatening uh, circumstance when faced by firefighters, often faced by firefighters. Given the particular urgency that firefighters comply with the directives of their superiors and recognizing the potential of, of such tirade to, to erode authority, we vacated the grant summary judgment because it cannot be concluded as a matter of law that no rational juror could view that such a tirade uh, 
as humiliating resulting as an intolerable altercation or alteration of Holly's working environment conditions. Again, a decision that the court is relying upon here to form the example for what it's going to rely for Ms. Banks. A jury could find that the incident involving Rush was similar to the incident involving Hawley because Rush's acts of public insubordination undermined Banks' responsibility to ensure compliance with the plant's safety protocols. Not only did the incident involve a perceived physical threat, but it directly challenged Banks' authority and compromised her ability to fulfill her supervisory duties. Indeed, Rush had neither been involved in supervising the contractor, nor had he inspected the particular safety situation at issue. When he considered, in, when considered in context of the evidence of pervasive discriminatory conduct discussed below, a jury could reasonably find that ba- Rush's uh, reaction to Banks' discretionary decision was dis- disproportionate and motivated by discriminatory animus. Far from constituting a mild, isolated incident, a jury could find that ru- that the Rush incident was of such quality or quality quantity that a reasonable uh, employee could find the conditions of her employment altered for the worse. In any event, even assuming that Rush's tirade is insufficiently severe by itself, it is surely relevant to an analysis of the pervasiveness of the discriminatory conduct within the Lockport plant. The court goes on to the next element of hostile work environment and it deals with pervasive conduct. I'm sorry, pervasive conduct. Moving to pervasive conduct, a reasonable jury could find that the discriminatory conduct was sufficiently pervasive and widespread within the Lockport plant to have created a hostile work environment. Uh, to be uh, deemed pervasive, the challenge instances must be more than uh, episodic. They must be sufficiently continuous and concerted. Although the district court found that the discriminatory instances were isolated and not extremely serious, either taken singularly or collectively, uh, we conclude that a reasonable jury could find that the instances the incidents indeed uh, evince a culture of hostility towards black and female employees. Of course they do. Uh, Banks was the recipient of sexually demeaning language and as her uh, female colleagues and worked in a setting uh, where images of pinup women, sexually explicit silhouettes uh, were common from 2006 to 2016, Banks and her other black employees saw nooses, Confederate flags, and other racially offensive material around the plant, including a black test dummy seated in a vehicle wearing minimal tattered clothes. As the district court recognized, Black employees were subjected to a steady barrage of racial insult and epithet. Uh, Specifically, several colleagues testified to being called the N-word and civil back and having their work deemed enterized. And I'm not using the right word. Uh, You know what I mean. Uh, A jury could reasonably find that the the placement of these three nooses that are near the workstations of Black employees within the Lockport plant, even over the course of 11 years, was sufficiently severe, uh, and per, I'm sorry, pervasive to support a hostile work environment claim. I mean, 11 years, the district court found it did not. I mean, it's, it's just, it's laughable. There can be little doubt as uh, this, uh, such a symbol is significantly more egregious than the utterance of a racial joke. Uh, instead, the noose is among the most repugnant of all racist symbols uh, because it is itself an instrument of violence. Like a slave master's whip, the image of a noose is deeply part of this country's collective consciousness and history, and any further explanation of how one could infer a racial motive appears quite unnecessary. Um, uh, it goes on to say, I'm trying to end reading parentheticals here. Um, uh, this decision, so at this juncture, it's written in 2023. It's it's post the you know the debacle and nonsense occurred in in the um, 
the social justice reckoning we've had in this country over the last uh, three years. Um, and it's it's just it's you can see the judge in this case, Denny, uh, Dr. Uh, judge uh, Chin, who's uh, writing this. He's making points with using language of uh, and identifying what the noose means in our American culture and like. And you often find judges doing this. Um, it's a piece of history. So the case you're reading and he hearing is a piece of history. And it's um, it's giving uh, direction to anyone reading it, uh, the importance of what happened here, especially the district court judge who has got to go reconcile this out on remand. A reasonable jury could find that even a single placement of this object imbued as it is worth with its historical gravity as a symbol and tool of actual violence, violence directly at the workstation of a black employee could amount to severe conduct sufficiently sufficient to support an inference that the workplace is hostile to black employees. Well, of course. Um, again, more parenthetical. Uh, here, black employees found nooses placed deliberately at their workstations on three separate occasions. A reasonable jury could uh, surely find that the discovery of multiple nooses within the Lockport plant created a hostile work environment. Well, no shit. Um, yet the district court omitted any mention of these nooses, evidence for of each which exists in the form of deposition testimony, internal investigative reports, and photographs. Given the repugnance of this object, uh, in its direct implication of racial animus and violence, a reasonable jury could surely conclude that the discovery of multiple nooses within Banks's workplace constituted pervasive discrimination that altered the conditions of her employment and created an abusive working environment. Second, multiple circuit courts have emphasized that perhaps no single act can be more quickly altered the conditions of employment and create an abusive work environment than the use of a an unambiguously racial epithet as the, such as the word, the N-word. The epithet has been described as a term that sums up all the bitter years of insult and struggle in America, a pure anathema to the American African-Americans, and probably the most offensive word in, in the English language. Um, and it goes on. I'm sorry, there's parenthetical. Courts have also held that the use of the word monkey or derivative terms is similarly odious and that their use within the workplace constitutes some compelling evidence of a racially hostile work environment. Uh, more parentheticals. And uh, the district court's description of the isolated epithets levied against banks suggested it viewed these comments as, quote, stray remarks. Uh, it's an important analysis I'm going to mention to you because uh, stray remarks are common. Um, here, the court goes on to say that uh, the stray remarks doctrine is by no means dispositive. Uh, while it is true that the stray remarks of a decision maker without more cannot prove a claim of employment discrimination, we have held that when other indicia of the discrimination are properly presented, the remarks can no longer be deemed stray and the jury has a right to conclude that they bear more ominous significance. Um, in assessing the hostile work environment claim, the emphasis of on, is on the hostility of the work environment as a whole, and a plaintiff must show merely that the discriminatory incidences were sufficiently continuous and concerted to have altered the conditions of the employee's working environment. Again, you just keep hearing the same redundancy. I don't know why the court keeps on doing this. In addition, it is not germane that the racial epithets were directed at other employees instead of banks. The district court focused on the fact that other employees endured a steady barrage of racial insult an epithet while banks were subject to a non-ethnic offending terms, such as being called an idiot as a, at a meeting where uh, she was not present. The court noted that the while other blank, black co-workers were called the N-word by white co-workers, banks did not personally endure such epithets within the limitations period. 
Yet the mere fact that the plaintiff was not present when a racially derogatory comment was made will not render the comment irrelevant to her hostile work environment claim. That's important for you to understand. So other people's claims are important to your claim. So other people are being called the N-word, make it a part of your narrative. Okay. What it does, basically, the court's saying is the work environment is so charged with racial bias that, you know, it can't, it's going to infect it like a disease. Uh, just as racial epithet need not be directed at a plaintiff in order to contribute to a hostile work environment, the fact that a plaintiff learns secondhand of racially derogatory comment or joke by their fellow employee or supervisor can also impact the work environment. Moreover, as we have previously held that incidents of involving other employees, while they may be of limited probative value, uh, cannot be ignored or on summary judgment grounds. Instead, whether the plaintiff was aware of the incidents during the employment and more significantly, whether in light of these incidents that the incidents the plaintiff experienced were more, were directly, uh, more directly would reasonably be perceived and were perceived as hostile or abusive are factual issues more appropriate for a trial or fact, meaning a jury. The court goes into the um, tangible harm, which is another element of hostile work environment. Again, apologize. This is what the court's doing in its lengthy decision. Finally, the court, the, the district court erred in focusing on the lack of tangible harm that Banks incurred when the hostile uh, incurred from the discriminatory harassment. Despite evidence of Banks's need for multiple medical leaves and stress and anxiety, her psychological treatment and her need for anti-anxiety medication, the district court dismissed her claim because it found that Banks suffered no adverse consequences save her stress claims. Supreme Court made clear in Harris. Uh, However, that Title VII does not require concrete psychological harm for claim to be actionable, as the statute clearly bars conduct that would seriously affect a reasonable person's psychological well-being. I want to just put a footnote here. Um, you got to know something in uh, claims for everything other than sex discrimination. Um, in sex discrimination, you only have emotional distress. In every other claim, you can't have emotional distress. It's a common law claim. But the court, and as you see here, references the hostile, uh, the, the emotional aspect, the toll it takes on employees, the victims. Um, and it says that uh, they, uh, under Title VII, they experience emotional distress. So you have this implicit emotional distress buried in the statute interpreted. So it, it's all kind of crazy nonsense, but understand something that you, in race cases, no emotional distress, sex cases, yes, emotional distress, but the jury's still out on the issue. It, it's It's kind of a wild west of uh, of jurisprudence uh, in my mind. The court goes on, moreover, the language of Title VII is not limited to economic or tangible discrimination. Uh, it goes on to say tangible effects uh, include detrimental impacts on the employee's job performance, discouraging employees from staying on the job, or other effects that prevent the employees from advancing in their careers. Yet, even without regard to these tangible effects, the very fact that the discriminatory conduct was so severe or pervasive that it created a, a work environment abusive to employees because of their race, gender, and religion or national origin offends Title VII's broad rule of workplace equality. Let me make a note here. Uh, this is uh, 2024. Uh, last June, July, I believe, the Supreme Court of the United States uh, abolished affirmative action. The reason why I did that, folks, is because it said you cannot use race at all in making preferences, decisions, okay? It's going to hit the employment setting as well because it has to meet this standard, workplace equality under Title VII, okay, it, without regard to race. So you have this aspect called DEI out there that's being slightly diminished, uh, but, you know, it was there. Uh, it made people uncomfortable, people who were basically not black or brown minority, but in fact, who are white. And But 
nonetheless, it's coming to a, a court near you and uh, DEI is going to die and has to comport with basically zero tolerance about any selection about race or uh, sex, et cetera, across the board. And that's a Supreme Court decision that will be coming up shortly. Uh, there is ample evidence from which a court uh, with a reasonable jury could conclude that banks found the environment at Lockport plant to be hostile. This is a subjective aspect. Given that banks took multiple leaves of uh, medical leaves, sought psychological treatment, and was prescribed anti-anxiety medication to cope with the stress and anxiety uh, she incurred from the discriminatory harassment. I'm actually going to shorten this podcast a little bit and say that the case, uh, obviously, the, the court reversed the district court decision, and it went. Uh, the case is going back to the district court level. Um, and I'll put in the post notes the uh, aspect, uh, the, the court decision I'm reading from so you can read it. But it was important to bring to light the hostile work environment claim for you so you can hear it in real life. Um, it's how the court interprets these cases. Now you've heard it. Um, we know that Banks uh, you know, was harmed by this and experienced a hostile work environment. She also experienced disparate treatment and retaliation, which you can read yourself. But that was what I wanted to get across to you. A real-life story that happened to somebody pretty outrageous, very, very severe. Uh, and now you know how the court dealt with it, okay? Uh, have a great day. Talk to you soon. If you like the Employee Survival Guide, I'd really encourage you to leave a review. Uh, we try really hard to uh, produce information to you uh, that's informative, that's uh, timely, that you can actually use and solve problems on your own and at your employment. So if you'd uh, like to leave a review anywhere you listen to our podcast, please do so. And leave five stars because anything less than five is really not as good, right? Uh, I'll keep it up. I'll keep the standards up. I'll keep the uh, information flowing at you. Um, if you'd like to send me an email and ask me a question, I'll actually review it and post it on there. Uh, you can send it to m. C-A-R-E-Y at C-A-P-C-Law.com. That's capclaw.com.